30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you've left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard At its heart, ritual is a process of enactment. Our ancestors enacted rites in which they played the roles of the sun and the moon, the visible planets, animals, plants, and various spirits. By personifying these forces, they sought their aid and guidance, creating a strange form of symbolic symbiosis, where humans learned to actively work with symbols through ritual and performance, while those same rituals and performances gave the symbols physical substance. Over time, these enactments grew more elaborate. Ritual became ceremony, and with the weight of civilization behind it, beautifully intricate and overpowering temples were erected to house even more complex rituals, with societies using their vast resources to dedicate entire priest castes to continuously conducting these ceremonies. Now, a common critique magic likes to lob at religion is that somewhere along the way, Religion lost the plot, and their enactments of ritual became more like reenactments. The words and the costumes are still in place, but the spirit and fervor has left the building. Personally, I think religions go through cycles of growing too large to sustain the subjective fire of gnosis, at which point spirited individuals tend to have their own mystic revelations and create sex. But the link I'm more interested in today is how the ritual process of enactment outgrew its purely spiritual origins and merged with storytelling traditions to create theater. In enactment for its own sake, all manner of stories can be told, with masks, costumes, makeup, and ingenious stage designs serving to transport audiences more fully into the symbolic realms within which such stories reside. And here, we have an interesting phenomenon. Whereas religious rituals lost that sensual spark, the theater captured the popular imagination and myths became entertainment. The world of magic today occupies a strange territory. Pagan rites don't have the same institutional support as the Catholic Church, but many pagans and magicians would be loath to consider their spiritual rituals as mere theater. But I think that's a big mistake. The rituals most of us enact these days are absolutely reenactments, often re-reenactments, like the Golden Dawn playing dress-up as Renaissance magicians who in turn were cosplaying their favorite strains of Neoplatonic alchemy and hermeticism. My point here isn't to critique anyone's ritual practice or doubt the authenticity of their initiated tradition. I have no doubt, very initiated and very traditional, but rather to suggest knowing we're all setting out to cosplay the past and enact great dramas of gods, myths, and magic, why not bring the modern techniques of theater 
to bear on our sacred arts? Would the lesser banishing of the pentagram be more or less effective with some smoke machines and lasers? Would it hurt or help your invocation of Pan if the person playing Pan had taken a few improv classes? If the magic of theater is to bring us into other worlds and make us feel emotion through the art of acting, might not the theater of magic support the same effect, but for different ends? My guest today, Jacqueline Marie Shannon, straddles these very worlds as a performer, a ritualist, and a scholar. Jacqueline previously appeared in our episode, How to Dance Like a Ghost, where we talked about the Japanese art of buto, but now she is a PhD student exploring the intersection of stage magic, seances, theater, and the many modern incarnations of ritualized enactment. So please, ask an usher to guide you to your seat, because the curtain is about to raise as the performers take the stage and we all learn how to perform ritual. Welcome back, Jacqueline. Thank you, Devin. Now, before we get into it, I have a very important question for you. Does a podcast count as theater? Absolutely, it counts as theater. Okay, I thought it might. So this podcast as a ritual is then a piece of theater that is also a ritual in which we are having a conversation about the theater of ritual. It's so meta. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. What's our magic word going to be? Mm, intention. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. So on the count of three, one, two, three. Intention. Hmm. Now, last time you were on, we were talking about how to dance like a ghost. Mm -hmm. But this time we're on the main stage and you are currently studying a topic that's near and dear to my heart. How do you how do you describe what you're studying these days? Well, um, well, I would say there's plenty of ghosts in what I'm studying still, but <laughs> um, I am currently a PhD student in theater and performance studies at the Graduate Center, PUNY. Um, but my focus is on magic and ritual in and as theater and performance, um, with a little dabbling in the the world of hauntings and ghosts here and there, and with a focus on the body and technique. Mm -hmm. And what ritual technique entails and feels like. So give us just a, like, let's peel back the onion and just get another layer into that. What sort of ritual are we talking about here? Mm. Well, I'm interested in a really wide variety of, of um, instances of ritual or ritualization. Personally, I'm very interested in, um, well, I mean... <laughs> That's a hard question because I really, my interests are kind of scattered all over the place if I'm, if I'm honest and I am, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but there is a tendency to kind of differentiate between quote unquote ritual magic, mm -hmm. which is sort of an applied magical practice, um, versus quote unquote stage magic or right. the conjuring arts. And I'm much more of a believer in the ways in which those weave into one another. Well, I think that's one of the things that's so fascinating me. I remember reading about Alejandro Jodorowsky's research into healers and shamanic kind of figures in Mexico city. Mm -hmm. And so many of them used stage magic tricks like sleight of hand and stuff, but they're producing an atmosphere of otherworldliness. And when they pull the illness out of you and then they have something smoking and wriggling in a bag, 
that helps the person think, ah, I'm going to get better now. And it's like a super boosted placebo effect. Yeah. I mean, and I almost want to avoid the, the, even the phrase placebo effect gets so weighted with this assumption of, of falsity or deception. Yeah, that's true. And, and the, the magic or the, the real transformation that's occurring, um, it's very embedded in the power of metaphor Mm -hmm. and the power of symbol, which is, it's not in the power of theater. Yeah. It's, and you know, there is more information and more potency and possibility in a metaphor. It moves things. It moves your mind. It moves your body enough to move into another experience of self and reality. It doesn't necessarily mean because it is a, a copy or, you know, replication imitation that it's somehow a deception. And I think that's, I think that's a really key point is that our, I don't know. Like it, it, I don't. I don't want to make a straw man because I think that's one of the habits of occult literature, where it's always <laughs> there's this like guy in a lab coat that's like, oh, actually, it's all atoms and it's nothing but. And I don't <laughs> want to fall into that trap. Sure. But I think there is this weird idea of it's either real and the bar for real is set impossibly high, which in a very strange way is because of the movies we have now. We expect it to be real, like a movie you would see where mm-hmm. like you know a ghost flies around the room and lifts people up, and it's. There's no doubt that something crazy happened Mm -hmm. versus fake. And then it's deception, sham. If you fell for it, you're gullible and there's something wrong there. Whereas I think things can be fake and still very powerful. And I I personally, you know, like I'm in some sense a fake wizard. I took the costume of a wizard, but I think it has a real effect, or at least I hope it does. And I totally agree with you that 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 boundary needs to be blurred quite a bit more. Yeah. And I mean, the, the power actually lies inside of the gap between the real and the quote unquote fake or theatrical representation, Mm -hmm. right? And embracing doubt or making space for doubt is almost, it's opening up the space for thinking and growing into something other than what one is. So there is no real, Mm -hmm. we tend to, we, we idealize a real, but everything is experienced through representation through the senses, through right. a filter. Um, and so it's, it's just enabling a different kind of filtering or, or sensorial experience. Yeah. It's like if you watch a movie and, it, and you cry, the movie doesn't have to be a documentary to have that effect. In fact, it can be even more powerful when it's a fictional story and you know that these are actors and that part of your brain doesn't go away. It's not like you're an idiot that goes, Oh my God, I thought that person really was dying. I didn't know it was Meryl Streep yeah. the whole time that doesn't ruin the effect. It's part of it. And I think with ritual, that's a really powerful thing to put that front and center and say, yes, I'm playing this God. I'm playing this role. We're enacting this right. And there doesn't need to be some sort of fantastical transformation where a pit of fire opens up for it to be real. And like, you know, yeah. But then, you know, I'm always, I'm a big fan of the pit of fire too. Oh yeah. Oh, you get me, you know, if you, uh, if you can open up a pit of fire, it's just some of us live in apartments and it's not Sure, always... it's a little dangerous. Um, yeah. So um, where does your, like, where does your interest kind of start? Like, are you looking at historic rituals or is there a specific period of, I know we've talked about spiritualism and things in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious where exactly you start to trace the, um, the combination of these two, theater and ritual. Yeah, I mean, I think, the I'm much more interested in contemporary practice mm-hmm. and the very many different ways in which people draw resources from sure historical 
narratives of ritual, mm -hmm. of magic, but not so much to replicate something once again, to be kind of quote unquote authentic, yeah. but more how people creatively invent answers to the problems that they have mm. or um, construct the narratives that they need to move forward in a particular direction yeah, um, or how they embellish their own world into being something bigger than it is. Now, I'm wondering if this is on track and correct me if it's not, but I was literally just talking with a magician, a sleight of hand magician the other mm -hmm. night about uh, things like Wicca and how it has an invented history, but it filled a real need at that point. Like if you want to get into the anthropology of the matriarchal goddess religion that stretches back in secret, blah, 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 you're going to run into a lot of issues of consistency pretty quickly. But if you look at that time period, it seems like there was a real hunger and the explosive growth of it. Obviously, it struck a chord. Yeah. And so I think that's where the kind of ethnographic interest for me lies in mm -hmm. looking at contemporary practice. We can get tangled all that we want in where the history, I mean, and it's important to allow ourselves to look back and critique where these kind of ideas are coming from and the values that they carry with them. And obviously there's layers and layers of, of problematic history there. Um, however, like you kind of just gestured to, towards yourself, it doesn't negate the fact that these are real, the people are doing real things enough. They find certain practices worth doing. Mm -hmm. Um, that they add something to their lives in some way, that these ideas and these practices evolve mm -hmm. and that they're generative, you know, that they're not just the fact that people are actually doing something makes it worth looking at. So what are some of the practices that you're talking about specifically? Yeah. So um, one of the things that, you know, obviously the last two and a half years have been a kind of wild gap. Yeah. Um, that's a... a that's a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah. A wild gap. <laughs> Where were you during the wild gap? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's like baby gap, regular gap, and then it's like wild, wild gap. gap. Yeah, gap plus. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm really interested in the ways, for example, when we were all kind of, you know, socially distant and isolated, the ways in which people continued ritual practice in private, mm. um, the ways in which, um, I mean, of course there were kind of zoom gatherings of various, I mean, you probably also facilitated some of that yourself, I imagine. I had, so I was doing a mystic toques ritual here in New York where I would bring people together for a cannabis ceremony yeah. and do the incredibly insane thing these days of passing a joint around a room and right. having people share it. And so when COVID hit, it was like, well, that's clearly not a thing. And I tried to bring it online during that initial period when we were all sort of stuck in our apartments and not sure what was happening. Yeah. And I found it somewhat dissatisfying because I think there is something with Zoom that is so awkward of you can only really have one speaker at a time and in a physical space, someone can get over their awkwardness and then find the moment where there's a gap and they're willing to share what their experience was, which is my favorite part. Yeah. Yeah. And online it's easier for people to just sit in their own apartment and not ever speak. And then I'm just there kind of flailing around being like somebody yeah, Bueller, I Bueller. I mean, I, I certainly was there too. Yeah. And now I'm actually remembering one of the rituals that you conducted that were, yeah. there was a kind of dream theater. I was, it was, it was inspired in that way for me Yeah, yeah. thinking about that. But um, no, what I'm, what I was really got into, um, 
thinking about ritual and private ritual was was more instances in which collections or groups of people would agree to conduct a solitary ritual at the same time, mm. um, not necessarily the exact same practice mm-hmm. um, or even forms, but that they shared a collective intention yeah. that motivated them to do something mm-hmm. in a time when we collectively were struggling to do anything. Right, right. And yeah. So the difference between was, nothing and something is a huge gap. To get yeah. Across. And ritual became um, ritual practice, solitary ritual practice in an imagined community mm-hmm. became motivation enough to feel a little bit more alive, a little bit more in the body, yeah. a little bit more moving forward towards something, even if you don't know what that something is. I'm doing this. I can, you know, I can do a purification ritual in the shower. Right. I can do that. And I'm going to do that. And I did that, you know, um, of course the idea of collectively imagining, you know, everyone doing your uh, purification rituals in the shower, there's a kind of, I can go in a lot of different directions. But, but that kind, you know what I'm trying to say? This idea of, I am not alone. I am performing alone. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of the wall, on the other side of the wall, on the other side of the wall, there is a collective that is generating forward momentum. It makes me think in a way of of people that would, you know, even before the pandemic, where they'll they'll watch a movie or a TV show at the same time yeah. while on the phone with each other. And it's this way of trying to I, I keep saying the word gap because now it's wild gap is in my head, but like reach across that gap of distance and have a shared experience. Yeah. And recreating what it would feel like to be on the same couch as somebody, even if you're not. Yeah. And, but, and then the difference. So that is definitely there's a obviously that is a, a ritual action in its own way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but then what interests me is this kind of additional aspect where there's an imagining forward or yeah. an imagining otherwise rather than kind of merely or purely consuming media, which is right. which serves its own purposes. But this particular kinds of rituals in which we're imagining the body, otherwise not losing the sense of the body, but really being present, Mm -hmm. extra present in the body through ritual of actually cultivating a ritual body that would be capable of feeling more than. Do you have a definition of ritual that you use in your work? That is probably the the organizing... um, no, I'm not saying that's my definition of ritual. I'm yeah. saying I, I think it's, I'm not ready to claim that because it's, yeah. it's probably, it's one of those words that you could spend your whole life trying to define and it's thrown around so much. Well, and that's what I was just thinking is that, you yeah. know, if you lose something, if you just make it so broad that, you know, brushing your teeth is a ritual. Yeah. But I think I'm trying to remember there was something where I, I thought they had a nice definition where they, where they specifically said there has to be some intent, bringing it back mm-hmm. to our word. Mm-hmm beyond just the thing in itself. If you're brushing your teeth, your intent is to clean your teeth. So the performance of it is just, it's that straightforward. Whereas if you're doing a purification ritual in the shower, yes, on a physical level, you are cleaning your body, but you're also adding some other intent and layer of meaning and significance to it. Yeah. So the other major quality or major kind of defining aspect of ritual that usually is involved uh, is some form of repetition. The idea that something has happened before, mm, one does mm-hmm. it again, and one repeats. Right. Um, and of course, some Rinse, some rituals, wash, repeat. Yeah, yeah. And some rituals take this that the the idea that the efficacy of the ritual or the, or its ability to actually work is predicated on or dependent on 
very precise replication. Right. Kind of like a tea ceremony sort of thing of like part of it is drilling down into it's not just winging it on the fly, but yeah. it's saying we have these specific steps and over time we've gotten every little detail down. So we know that the way that the, the cloth is laid on the altar matters just as much as the words that are being said. Yeah. And I mean, there are various camps of belief around mm -hmm. that and obviously various traditions that draw and are invested in that definition of ritual. There's also absolutely, a, especially in contemporary practice and in, in certainly in the United States, um, Western Europe, arguably, of um, a much more inventional and creative and expressive and um, more that more on the fly idea yeah. of ritual of throwing around the term ritual that it can mean a lot of different things. Um, but but it still draws upon resources from something that came before, including things like uh, ritual structures and forms. Mm -hmm. The idea of setting a space and time apart as something other than normal reality, of being in between worlds, we say. The thought that's coming to my mind is the uh, like 60s fluxus kind of happening. Sure, of, yeah. You know, all right. <laughs> it's, it's a happening. It's, it's, we have declared this otherwise other time, mm -hmm. other space for something to emerge. Right. And I think that's, that's where I first got really hooked into the idea of ritual was the more chaos magic thing of the formula that matters is you're banishing and you're closing. Cause that's the bookends. And then whatever happens inside, you know, that's a special time and you're not going to be in the middle of your ritual and be like, eh, time to go microwave a pizza roll and answer the phone and go to the bathroom and then come back and finish it later. You're mm -hmm. like, I'm, I'm in the zone and whatever's happening. Even if I spill candle wax on the altar, when the cat drops, like jumps over it and it all goes awry, you're still in that magical space of possibility. And later to some extent should reflect on, okay, well, what am I learning about my intent and how the ritual went in light of the fact that the cat spilled candle wax everywhere. And like, sure, what, sure, what does that sure. signify? Yeah. I mean, I was, <laughs> I, I was also, I've throughout the last few years, I've also been leading ritual online, um, largely based in ghostly practice right. and full moon rituals and new moon rituals. And, and there was a time when one of my, um, one of the participants who's worked with me for a few years, she was, she was having that almost exact crisis where she had candles and her cat came running through and things were falling and breaking and there was glass. Yeah. Um, and she was trying to kind of keep it, bring it in. Um, but there was a point in which it's like, I had to break, I had to break it. And I was like, yeah, you, it's okay. You can't treat things too sacredly because then your, your mind knows better. Yeah. Um, how did you find that experience of trying to do ritual online? Because especially um, I've taken your ghostly practice class and it's it's so embodied and it's so about physical space. And I, I would imagine for you being able to observe people and the experimentation and exploration they're doing. Yeah, it's a it is a whole other experience. It is. And and part of that is. Um, do you like it or do you secretly hate it? Oh, I, I, I abhor it. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I like the idea of having the opportunity to, I mean, the thing is for, for we could get into the, the depth of why I abhor it. And it's, yeah. it's, I'm sure many people will have their similar feelings about zoom and that whole experience and the, the, the challenge, the extra effort that it takes to be present and participatory mm -hmm. in that space. Um, where it works is that you're providing a container, you're providing an opportunity, a moment for someone to step into and say, yes, I will treat this as a sacred moment for myself. Right. 
and I will build that space in my home Mm -hmm. and I will choose, okay, between 7 PM and 9 PM, I am here for this. Um, I just got chills saying that because sometimes we really need that. Oh, totally. And that's, you can have your own private ritual practice, but the, the collective experience of it amplifies the, um, investment that you have and your ability to direct your intention. Yeah. Um, in that time. And so, yeah, I can have participants in the ritual who, who are like, you know, maybe they, they've dipped a toe, but they're not present. And so um, I feel bad for them because the, the two hours of that are, are going to be really hard to get through if they're meaningless. Cause it's not about me just giving you something. It's about you stepping into it to the invitation. And I think that's at its, um, at its worst. That's where the problem comes in for me is that when, when, when I was living in New York and we were both here, I was constantly struggling to find a place where I could do performance ritual and fucking close a door. Yeah, like all yes. I wanted was to close a door, close the door and be able to say, we are starting now. If anyone came, it's too late. Mm-hmm. You're not going to wander in, in the middle of it because you need to be here for the whole thing, beginning, middle, end. And it's disruptive to everybody. If we're all deep in trance and then you blunder in with your friends yeah. while talking on your phone and I feel like Zoom is inherently leaky because you have no control and you can have someone in the middle of some heart moving thing. And then suddenly it's crinkle, crinkle, crinkle. What's that, Dan? No, I'm on a call. I'm on a call right now. Oh, yeah, no, I'll exactly. make dinner after. And it just yeah. fucks everybody's shit up. And so I think there's a I think we we have not yet figured it out. We're like, yeah, we're, we're still too attached to the physical world to like open up to really what's going to work in that space. Mm -hmm. But it's, yeah, I think that's where you you feel like you don't have everyone's energy pooling and And bouncing off of each other. And certainly as a facilitator, you can't hold that. You can't promise anything to anyone. Yeah. Um, and, and so that it becomes a different, it's a different safety level. Right. Um, even just the perceived possibility of, you know, someone's, uh, roommate walking in in another screen it mm-hmm. doesn't allow you to give into the moment of, yeah. of being fully present into possible in, in that possibility that you have to be vulnerable for and i think i think also space is so important with these things because i've i have i, I see clients as a hypnotherapist and i have clients where they will drive quite a distance to come see me at my office Mm -hmm. because they don't want to get into the emotional territory in their house where they spend all of their time and get that emotional ectoplasm all over their stuff. They want to come in and to the container and then at the end leave and not have, you know, anything from that office, like reminding them of that later and have their house be nice and clear and clean. And also, I mean, there is this element in which we we feel, and I'm saying we as in beyond you and I. Humans. Yes. <laughs> there is a tendency that we can have to kind of want an ideal, pure experience. Oh, and yeah. it's easier to kind of put that on someone else, mm-hmm. um, that responsibility. Um, but even you can't, you can't guarantee a pure experience to anyone. But it's if someone else is, is creating that world, it's easier to allow yourself to believe Right. In that, regardless of whether or not, I mean, that's, that's sort of the illusion work of it too, right? You're able to guide participants into a state of the suspension of disbelief, yeah. right? That we talk about. Well, I think one of the things that's so interesting that comes up in this conversation for me is magic is something that I care deeply about, but I'm also very confused and skeptical of, which mm-hmm. is, you know, my own journey through it. And I think especially with trends like chaos magic 
they boiled down to this again, this reference to the real of does it have the intended fact? It's all about this pragmatism of is your ritual moving the needle and doing the thing that you want it to do? And what's shifting the focus and saying, how do we blend it with theater? Then it doesn't have to affect the world outside of that container. It's about your own transformation of feeling, of moving, of experiencing something, which then hits my other problem with the small. I have not, I've never been part of a coven. I have very small experience with like organized group rituals since I'm such a weirdo iconoclast. I'm going to do it my own way. Um, but the few experience I've had with it, it's been very bad theater. Mm-hmm. It's yes. been very We've hokey. We've talked about this before. And, and, yeah. and, like, and like frustrating. Yeah. And I think if if you instead let go of this fragility around like we have to treat it as like totally sacred and we can't because our magic is real and it's definitely real and we can't let any doubt in. Yeah. And instead say we're performing theater and you know what? Our magic's going to be a lot better if your costume looks good, if you're not reading off a fucking iPhone, mm-hmm. if like we have mm-hmm. this all down yeah. and can perform it with what an actor would bring to a performance, not just, you know, a new age coven in the back of a, a bookstore. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the dramaturgy of ritual. The dramaturgy I mean, that is of what ritual, I'm interested yeah. in, right? What is what is motivating the structures and forms that give rise to the ideas and and the conditions to manifest our intentions in that space? So what are like are there some specific elements that you have found that you think are really key or some groups or figures where you're like, yeah, that's, that's getting it right. Oh, I mean, once again, it's, it's difficult with this gap in time because it feels like also the last time I was in a, in a collective in-person ritual experience has been, it's been some time, Mm -hmm. um, at least certainly as a participant. Um, I think earnestly, Part of what drives what I'm studying and part of what drives my own art, mm-hmm. and my own ritual practice is a disappointment mm-hmm. in that of, of wanting something more and knowing that it's possible. Yeah. Same. And that's, I mean, that's part, I think, of why Devin, you and I are friends too. And, you know, kind of some of the foundational conversations that we've had both as ritual practitioners um, and, you know, as thinkers and doers, um, who are interested in magic, but also have, you know, various questions about how, um, forgot what I was going to (laughs) say. Oh, but, oh, just, just that there's a dissatisfaction, right? There's a dissatisfaction of, um, the gap between, I think what, what is happening and what can happen. And I'm excited to find and make spaces and experiences for what I know is potent and possible and exciting and yeah. entertaining. Yeah. Um, no, I think you're right on there. I think I, I, I'm, I'm pretty transparent about, you know, my wizardry is a search for the magic that I want to find. And if yeah. I'm not finding it, I'm going to try and create it. And so I'm definitely working to fulfill my own need. But what comes to mind, I think, is a nice concrete example that I can point to that is honking our mutual horn is last year after I'd moved to Louisville, you reached out and you and your partner Omer were traveling with your band Cookie Tongue and mm-hmm. said, Hey, we're going to be passing through Louisville. Do you want to put on a show? And I had moved during the pandemic. So I had done no real public wizardry. I had not done any kind of ritual since leaving New York since the pandemic started. And I was like, Okay, let's do it. And there's a community garden right behind my house. And so we had another musician. And then I was going to do a ritual and that was going to lead into your performance. And my rituals are always weird because I think 
even the use of the word ritual is not accurate there because it's mm. totally not a, a full container. It's more like I'm setting off firecrackers in a crowd and seeing what happens. But I had a thing where I had everyone use their phone because I wanted to engage with technology and had them go to a website where there was different tones and they selected a tone, one of three options. And then they had to find everybody else whose phone was playing that same tone and kind mm -hmm. of harmonize. And that eventually led to a couple more exercises, which then I had everyone play an audio file at the same time that I'd created that had, you know, interesting music and some clips about fairies being sort of dark enchanters and things. And I set everyone up for failure because I knew there was no way in hell everyone was going to press play at exactly the same time. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And so then we had that, um, that kind of stuttering effect of the audio playing from all over the place, but all slightly off sync. So it had this very eerie effect, which then led into the cookie tongue set and everyone was right up front and they all just sat down and then they just got absorbed into the magic. Yeah. And I think what that highlights is the way that a, a, a person in a wizard robe inviting you to do magic and to have an experience is inviting you to set that intention to think about things in a different way. But then the performance that you were part of was purely magical in an aesthetic quality that is different than my wordy like, hey, everybody, let's think about magic from a conceptual frame and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And the marriage of those two was able to set everything up and then people had their own aesthetic rapture. And then afterwards, they blended the two in their mind. And that was what was so cool is I got so much juice from that because people, as I'm you know, continuing to be in Louisville and things are opening up, mm -hmm. I meet people who are at that performance. And I think when they remember it, they don't have a division between where I stopped and you started. It was the entire experience. It was the entire experience and the aesthetic personal rapture they felt during the performance they brought back into what I was doing and the whole thing then um, creates a beautiful synergy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think also, and I'm, I appreciate that you brought up that experience as an example, because I, I think it really points to this other aspect of ritual and ritual performance and ritual structures and dramaturgy mm -hmm. that I'm really drawn to and fascinated by, which is gets us away from this idea of ritual intention being something so specific mm -hmm. Um and more about, you know, you can, of course, in any given ritual, you can have a specific intention. Sure. And, and we're talking magic, but it's more about training and attuning the body and the mind to be able to experience a different state of being. Right. To exactly. be able, I mean, what you did, it invited people and allowed them to be able to receive a different offering yeah. that they would have, than they would have had otherwise. Um, and it, doesn't really necessarily matter um, what they were going into it with, mm -hmm. but that they had an experience that on a technical level in the body made something else possible. We kind of like, you know, tuned them into thinking about magic and wonder and catalyze that by then saying, here are the things that you should kind of open up in yourself. And then the performance is going to plug in and fill those with all of the wonder and awe and yeah. amazement that it can bring. And the other thing too, that I think you do, and I know cookie tongue does as well is, um, this embrace of play mm, yeah, and this em play. Em embrace of, of the kind of, um, the clown figure, mm -hmm. I mean, you're not taking yourself so seriously, but then you are, mm -hmm. um, it gives permission to kind of let go of some of the, um, whatever would be holding someone back, um, from that. And just, there's an ease with which you can kind of slide in and suddenly you find yourself 
deep in a ritual or, you know, um, in this kind of aesthetic rapture, as you, as you put it. Well, I think that's one of the things that is so interesting and it's this release. That's almost this cutting away from where our culture has become so suspicious and so weirdly individualistic that we have incredible hesitation about playing along. Mm-hmm. If someone's like, all right, everybody form a circle, we're going to do a thing. People immediately, their hackles raise and they're like, what are you going to make me do? I don't know if I want to do this. How dare you? I came to this event. I have every right to just be on my phone in the corner. <laughs> if you, if you think that I can't do that, like you're imposing on my freedom, fuck you. And there's this weird energy that I feel like most of what I'm doing is trying to deconstruct that and free people from that and remind them, Hey, you came to this concert and you're an active participant in it. And the energy that you bring affects your own and everybody else's experience. So why fight with your partner via text and scowl in the corner (laughs) when you can put your phone down and you can like smile and look into strangers eyes and dance and like, yeah, bring some of that magic to life. Yeah. I mean, and the other, the other thing I always like to to pull out in similar circumstances is also uh, drawing people's attention to the fact that they're already part of it. They're already oh, yeah. participating. Yep. There's there, of course, there's a consensual aspect to that, mm-hmm. you know, and you can certainly, you can certainly commit further and right. have an even better experience and, you know, add to the collective experience in a much bigger oh, way. Yeah. However, you're already here. You're already within the structure. You're already in the ritual. You're already opening your, you know, there's, there is no neutral. Yeah. Like if, if you are here, I guess, I mean, I guess that would be the difference. If like, if, if this was a mixed online and physical thing, then maybe there's people who are kind of like ghosts because they're just watching from their webcam. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter what they're doing because it right. doesn't, it's, it's a one way mirror. But for the most part, there is no neutral. And I think that's the thing that our culture has gotten really mixed up. People are used to watching something on TV mm-hmm. And it can be totally passive and you're not, nothing's expected of you. Oh, I I just, this brings us back to the kind of distinction that we have or distinction, but also association between theater and ritual and ritual and theater. This similar kind of thing with, you know, kind of traditional ideas of theater where we have the proscenium stage or there's, there's a frame, there's a structure that's separating the audience from what they're witnessing. And the whole, you know, tradition of psychological realism and Stanislavski that, as you know, still is taught as a default in school in terms of, you know, introduction, introduction to acting classes and things like this of what quote unquote theater is. Mm-hmm. And we know obviously that that's not all that theater is. Yeah. However, this idea of the separation between, you know, spectator and what is unfurling in front of you, ritual really fucks with that, yeah. you know, and, and it, it reaches out and invites in and it allows the stage to, the theater to kind of unravel on the stage that's internal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that becomes, that also is what makes some people nervous. Oh, totally. There's a, a kind of, you know, a stage penetration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like when the stage is literally your soul right. <laughs> or, you know, your spirit or your sense of self or your memories, or um, certainly your emotional landscape, all of these things become fodder for an experience. And that's, and, and I've done performances where I've described it as such, where I say my idea of ritual magic is that it is a performance that you are doing. If you're on your own for an audience of one, exactly. you are performing yes. for yourself. You're not just, it's not just like a chore where you're just sweeping the kitchen and doing the dishes. You are performing this action 
and you are the audience. And if we are doing it collectively, then we are all both the performers and the audience. Mm-hmm. And there's no distinction anymore. And, yeah. and I think that active participation is something that um, I don't know. Like it's, it's weird when you watch footage of, and again, it's footage, it's mediated. So it's hard to tell, but watching footage of concerts from the sixties or seventies and people are just freaking out and dancing in the corner, just bopping on their own and not like worried about it. And now I feel like it gets rarer and rarer where I go to shows and it's so much easier to assume the arms crossed default of just standing there and no, it depends on the show. Depends there on the is show. plenty of that too, but I, I do know what you mean but in terms of as a norm, the, I, think, yeah. I think people have become so much more aware of being watched and being judged yes. that the idea that you're going to go to a show and just groove to the music yes. and just yeah. feel it and just be like go-going in the corner and that's like what everyone's kind of doing so it creates a whole vibe as opposed to I've been that guy so many times. I've probably been very annoying being that guy where I'm like dancing wildly and I'm kind of aggressive in a sense because i'm like why is no like it's dance music everybody like what are we doing here yeah i mean but i I think that that also that gets to what um once again what i'm really fascinated with um is what it takes what it will take to kind of retrain ourselves to be in our bodies Mm. and to not just be in our bodies but to be communing with each other in a different way and having an experience that's larger than just you know that separate you know, distance sense of me on the other side of a screen. Um, it's yeah. retraining the mind and the body. It almost feels like the solution is, is paradoxically taking us in two directions. One of them is when we're having embodied experience in the physical world, how do we recenter ourselves in that reality and embrace that fully? And then when we're having these online experiences how do we embrace a disembodied form of being that's more effective? Because I think that's one of the things that gets in the way when you're trying to participate in the Zoom ritual, but your embodied experience of being on your couch and your connection freezing and all of those things is like getting in the way rather than if we were all sort of dissociated in virtual reality and able to just float around in a bubble of language and play. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is also, and, and this is a, a little bit of a detour, but it, it, it relates. Oh, as opposed to the straight path we've been taking this whole conversation? <laughs> yeah, you know me. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I was just thinking about the, going back to this idea of the, the pure ritual experience versus, you know, when the, the gaps, when there's the, the glitch, when there's something that goes wrong, when whatever, right? Um, the choice, for example, of stage magicians, mm-hmm. um, of, of those who practice what we call the conjuring arts, right. Yeah. Of actually weaving in failure into the performance to make it more. Oh yeah. Huge. Um, impacting. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if we think about ways that we actually can build in failure or build in imperfection into the structures of our ritual, we can allow ourselves to inhabit them a little bit deeper. Oh, I love that. I think that's, you know, you, you see that a lot in theater. Uh, I know improv, that's one of the things that they'll teach you is yeah. how to celebrate failure and they'll yes. have you, you know, announce, I failed and take a dramatic bow and start to incorporate that as a playful thing. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's where we all get freaked out is this idea that, again, going back to the mediated image is perfect. And so we think that we're supposed to do it that way when the reality is 
so much messier. And the mediated image is just lifting the cream off the top of that one moment where it worked and then freezing in an amber. Well, I mean, that's also the power and the beauty of ritual is it's a, it's a, it's a return. It mm-hmm. isn't just a one-off right. thing or, or, or by definition, it shouldn't be right. Yeah. There's always the choice to return, to commit and recommit to the thing, to do it again, to open it to back do up, it again yeah. and different yeah. and to see the, the little incremental changes that happen over time, the different ways of experiencing each time doesn't work this time. Fine. Do it again. Yeah. You know, do it different. And then what? It, it's the kind of yes and of improv too. Sure. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think theater is the theater and the magic connection is really interesting. Um, the magic, especially because there's different forms of magic. There's the, there's the Vegas style, big stage show magic, but then there's also the close up magic mm-hmm. where uh, I just had my wizard Wednesday event and we had the wonderful Richard Darshwood, the whiskey wizard uh, come and do magic. And it was fantastic. And it was exactly what you described. I watched him do tricks where they quote unquote failed because that makes you nervous. You don't want to see someone fail. So it brings you in and you're going, oh God, he does not know what card it is. He's really struggling. And then when you get that catharsis of, oh my God, he knew what card it was the whole time. This is my shoe. Holy fuck. How did he do that? It's like, it's so free. You're turning on, you're sparking the affect, the, Mm -hmm. the emotional capacity to experience something. And that transfers to a different affective experience. And you're participating fully because you as the person, like, it's like, that is what the magician is doing is working the group and getting the different people to play off and build that energy. You can't, it's not the same if you do it to a bunch of people, flat affect that are like, sure. I'll see a magic trick. Oh, that is my card. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I I know that type. (laughs) But that's, I mean, you know, I think any performer knows that, Mm -hmm. you know, theater is you're going backstage and going, Oh my God, it's, it's rough out there tonight. (laughs) Right. Oh, it's so great. The crowd is, you know, the whole company is alive because the crowd is feeding us that energy. Mm -hmm. And I think, Ritual is a space maybe where we become more aware of that energy exchange and more intentional about it. Yeah. You know, kind of going back to Cookie Tongue, um, um, for context, Cookie Tongue is a band that kind of, it incorporates uh, puppetry and animation and Mm -hmm. dance and ritual and and various other. It's an extravaganza. Yeah. um, But since I've been participating over the last few years, we, we have usually the last song is usually a kind of ritual close to the performance. Mm -hmm. And for me, it becomes this opportunity to process how things or or to kind of absorb and and transform the energy of the space. So if things went really badly or if things went really great um, to to celebrate or to grieve or to to do something with whatever energy is happening. Yeah. Um, And just having that opportunity, knowing, okay, well, if all else fails, I know flame feed is coming and I'm just going to burn it all up at the end. Oh, I love that. You know, and that's when, when we play a show and we don't have that, I'm, I feel very, very much like we didn't play a show for me. Oh my God. You have to like my first ever ritual, which I can't remember if you were at or not, but, um, it was at my friend's space terror society in Brooklyn. And I did this whole thing. It was for my book launch. And at the end of the ritual, I told everyone that they weren't allowed to talk about it for 12 hours or something like that. And then we went across the street to a bar and no one was allowed to come over and say, Hey, that was so cool. Or I really liked this part. And I had an intention for why I was doing that. Mm-hmm. But then I got home and it was like, I was spiritually constipated. I was like, Oh, I, and I've learned, I love doing things with groups. Even if I'm a solo practitioner, I love having that moment afterwards where you're at the Denny's drinking bad coffee and you get to say, 
oh, I liked this moment. And you know what? I talked to this person and they told me this thing that they liked. And you get to kind mm-hmm. of digest it because otherwise it's it's weird to just leave it. And then uh, what do I do with it? Like, I, I, did that go well? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, and, and also, you know, post-ritual, it's a, it's a grounding ritual. You have a yeah. ritual after the ritual where you're- A ritual you know, after you, the ritual, yeah. Cakes and ale kind of thing, you know, where you're, yeah. you're, you have some food, you talk it out. What happened? Where am I? Yeah. <laughs> what just happened? You oh know? man, cakes and ale. That's <laughs> a great, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Cause I think it really is like that. There's, there's these sub rituals that we don't even classify as ritual because it doesn't have the same pomp and circumstance of the theater. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, like a, a regular high school theater production is going to have the like drive to Denny's after the show ritual and all sure. of those other. Well, if you elements. think about that, uh, the component of ritual as being the kind of conditioning for mm-hmm. an otherwise experience, yeah. all of that is woven into that. The driving mm-hmm. to Denny's mm-hmm. afterwards or, right, you know, right. the the rushing to your seat um, at the, you know, because going to a theater show is a ritual, yeah. right? Of showing well, for the up. performer, I mean, the ritual of, you know, putting on the makeup and getting mm-hmm. into character and all of that thing. I think especially some of the, the classic performers, that is so inherently a ritual and they do it the same way every night. And it's got this whole again, like Japanese tea ceremony vibe. Of, yeah. This is how I get on my, my makeup. And also, and also taking the makeup off. Oh yeah. And that's all often a step that, I mean, Bucking once again, Airbnb's ending, <laughs> um, I mean, that's, but that's a step that a lot of people, even in ritual, in, in ritual performance, in ritual practice, that is kind of washed over what we right. were just talking about, you know, mm-hmm. being able to process afterwards. If you're not closing, if you're not ending, if there's not a kind of concrete something where you're, you are able to say, okay, now I'm back here. Right, I have some right. perspective and distance. Um, I mean, in acting, if you don't draw attention to kind of stepping outside of the character, the blurring between yourself and character can get complicated and unhealthy. And um, I mean, there's whole, a whole other conversation, but yeah. you know, that's an important aspect too, to be able to, ha- to close the container and return to it later. Right. Well, I feel like I've already learned something from this conversation because like we've you know touched on a few times, my style of ritual is, is not something where it is the same thing over and over. Mm-hmm. And we, when we've gone on tour, I never knew what environment I was going to be stepping into. Are we going to be at a bar show with a packed crowd that came to not see a band or a wizard, but are just there <laughs> to drink? And I have to like, pull them in or is it a house show where there's only five people and that's what we're working with. So I could never have a specific plan of this is what it's going to be. I didn't have the safety of a stage to say, this is what's going on. And what I just realized in our conversation is my personal rituals are a little bit similar. My personal rituals were always about some sort of event or some sort of thing. And I'm like scrambling the day of to clean my whole house and get everything ready and like still kind of figuring out like what exactly is going to happen in the ritual. And then I'm performing it for the first and only time and working my way through it. And then I've just never had that rigor of going back again and again and saying, okay, what did I learn? How can I get deeper this time? But um, so that's something that I want to explore is that idea of, you know, how can I actually build some of these where I'm, you know, like the actor that, you know, opening night is a little bit iffy, but then by closing weekend, you're like, I know exactly how to deliver that monologue. I've got it down through the repetition. Yeah, And also embracing and acknowledging the the practice of making choices. Right. And mm-hmm. and choosing otherwise if you choose to do so. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that is the power choices, of ritual yeah. mm-hmm. too with that. It's not just, you know, how am I going to have to 
change my situation or how am I going to have to respond to the conditions of this space? That matters. Yeah. But also, what am I choosing within those conditions? Right. In order to make something possible. So my version would be, you know, oh, no, I forgot my lighter downstairs, but the ritual's already started and I'm inside the circle. So I guess I'm not going to light the candle in that moment that I thought I was going to do it. But then I think the choice would be, ah, I've done this ritual a bunch, so I know to have my lighter. And this time I'm going to actually like look at the candle and contemplate the flame <laughs> for a little bit longer before I move on to the next step. And I, I think that's really nice. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm taking a bunch away from this already, but what's our spell going to be? What's something that people can bring from theater and ritual and your embodied practice into their world? Uh, just again, like we're, it's like the, the least you can do that little nugget that people can bring in to make their world a little more magical. Um, well, what's coming to mind, and this is just a, a tiny expansion possibility, but earnestly sitting, you know, finding, choosing a very intentional space to sit and setting a very intentional amount of time to sit, not to meditate, but to be fully, to be fully present in your body in this moment and acknowledging that you're choosing to be there and you're changing what would have otherwise been because you made that choice. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. I think, I think that can even, you know, not, not to make it too blurry or fuzzy, but I think one of the practices that I got from my hypnotherapy training is I was going in and saying, well, I have a hard time with self-hypnosis. Once I start getting into trance, I kind of lose the thread. Mm. And then the teacher said, just set the intention, even down to the time, like start by saying, my intention is to take 15 minutes to go within and come out feeling refreshed and ready to go be social tonight and lose yourself in that trance space. And then it's amazing where you come out and you're like, Oh my God, it's exactly 15 minutes later. But I think setting that time and that intention and you could, you could do, you know, I'm going to shoot baskets for five minutes and explore what that is or yeah. to sit in a chair and do something more meditative or you I mean, can choose to carve your sacred space and time and make whatever you want to happen within that happen i've always said one of my favorite sex toys is a timer hey <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah. it just take, it just it, it like it, it takes this like weird chaos and mystery of what's going to happen and instead you're saying hey we're gonna do this for 15 minutes let's see what happens let's see what happens all right thank you jacqueline thank you Devin. <laughs> For more of Jacqueline's magic, visit JacquelineMarieShannon.com. And for more of this podcast as a ritual, well, I mean, I guess you could just use whatever app you're using to listen to this podcast and just click on another episode. But if you want to peek behind the curtain, you can visit Patreon.com slash This Podcast is a Ritual, where by becoming a member of the ritual, you can participate in our ongoing virtual hangouts, get seasonal ceremonies, uh, snippets of my upcoming book, and other kinds of goodies and bonus episodes that are just for you as a patron of our magical arts. So thank you for helping us explore new forms of ritual in the 21st century. And I look forward to working with you all to usher in a new era of theatrical magic and magical theater. Until then, the curtain's going to close. We're all going to take a bow. And this is your wizard, Devin Person, saying, I believe in you. Your magic is real. <laughs>